Well, hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another week of Ranching Reboot. This episode sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. Check the show notes for a link. This week, CK comes back from her very busy day job at Vince to talk with a guest that has a very unique event coming up in Wyoming very soon. We're talking about the Rendezvous City Beef Roundup to be held in Riverton, Wyoming on September 10th. Join us as we visit with the event's founder, Tyler McCann, as he gives us all the details. Here we go with episode 75. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Because the record button's not red. <laughs> I don't know why I look for the red button. Oh, yeah. You're, I got your message now. You, I got it. There we are. Okay. All right. So, Tyler, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here today. Yeah, thank you. And CK is also back with us today. How you been, girl? I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Well, it's good we could finally make another one work. I know you're awful busy over there at Vents. It's nuts. Last time I was actually going to be at Maggie and Jeremiah's call, and we got a flat tire. Oh, that's <laughs> so, a bummer. No, I was in 100-degree weather, guys. It was awful. <laughs> well, funny story. Just before um, we were sitting down to do this, like in real time 20 minutes ago, I got a phone call. That there was maybe a little bit of a fire about six or seven miles west of the ranch so i tore out of the studio <laughs> and jumped in my jeep and ran up the top of the hill and looked and i didn't see any smoke and looked at the weather forecast and decided that i could probably come back down here for another hour or two and uh, and do some podcasting so here we are so uh tyler you reached out to me on um i believe it was through my ranching reboot facebook page and sent me a message and you've got an event coming up that you want to talk about. So uh, why don't you tell us what that event is? Yeah, so um, September 10th this year, uh, we're putting on the third annual Rendezvous City Beef Roundup. And it is a steak tasting competition. Uh, we get 10 ranches from around Wyoming that are all doing some sort of direct marketing. Uh, and we have them put in this year, they're going to put in eight pounds of New York strip. Uh, we sell tickets to our VIP dinner and we serve each one of our VIP guests uh, one ounce serving from each of the 10 different ranches. And we cook it all the same. Obviously, we keep it separate. And uh, you get one vote as to what you think is the best beef in Wyoming. And this year, we also have an open division. Uh, we had so many producers get a hold of us after the fact, uh, two years ago after we did the first one, that we, uh, we said, you know, we got to do something. We want to keep Wyoming producers as the star of the show. But we also want, so many of these producers said, you know, we can't get anything similar to this going in our neck of the woods. How can we join in? We want to see, uh, you know, just the fact that 
we judge everything strictly on taste. Um, and we said, you know, we got to, we, our planning committee, we said, you know, we've got to come up with an open division. So this year is our second uh, best beef in the West competition as well. And so we do a little different format there, but yeah, we, we take everything from Wagyu to grass finished Coriini, which I know will be right <laughs> up your alley. And uh, we put them all together and we kind of see what people think, what, what they're looking for in flavor. Okay. Oh, and so it's just, you get to vote one out of 10 after eating a one ounce portion of which one was your favorite. And I, I, I can kind of see that, you know, where you're not trying to do a bunch of different scoring and, you know, tabulate a tenderness and aroma and, and this, that, and the other. It's just, I liked this one best. Yeah. And everybody's going to have probably a little bit different reason, but I think probably at the end of the day, those reasons don't matter if you have a clear cut winner. Yeah. You know, it was interesting last year. Uh, the people that won it were Corey Ennies, uh, Corey Enny Longhorn Cross out of Sundance, Wyoming. Um, really cool people. They, um, they were there the first year and they didn't get a lot of votes. Um, and then here they come back the second year and I was second to them by one vote last year. So, you know, it's cool. I, I think there's that little part of um, kind of when your steak is cooked, we serve it in two flights. So we try and make it stay as warm as possible, as even as possible. It's amazing to see how these, this kitchen staff uh, at CWC is able to get 80 pounds of the exact same cut cooked evenly from one end to the other. I mean, they do an amazing job. There's very few places in the world that I think could accomplish that. And they get it all out within minutes of each other. So uh, it, it's a pretty fascinating process to watch, but I think it depends a little bit on who's in the crowd. Um, I think it depends a little bit as to when they get your particular piece of meat, whether they're a little fuller or not. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was surprised the first year. I thought it would be kind of a cheeky thing, you know, and kind of a fun night out for people. I, ultimately, I wanted it to be uh, something for the ranchers to hang their hat on. You know, we all say, yeah, you know, or you get a customer that buys directly from you and you, they say, oh, you, you have the best beef. Or we, we always advertise on our Facebooks or whatever that, you know, we sell the best beef in Wyoming. This was meant to be something for them to actually hang their hat on and say, we were voted the best beef in Wyoming. Um, and, and like I said, I, I thought it was going to be kind of a cheeky thing. And people would kind of, uh, oh, yeah, I like this one. No, I didn't like that one. Oh, this is fun. Let's have another drink. Uh, people were dead serious. They were taking notes. They were cutting their one ounce serving into three pieces. They take a bite, write a note, you know, and we give them a little, a little wine tasting type card. And it does, it has some prompts as to tenderness, smell, some of those kind of more cerebral things that they can grasp. Um, but they were asking for extra cards so they could make more notes about a one ounce serving. So I, it was really cool for me to see that people actually took it that serious. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So 
I, one of the questions I had was, you know, who's doing the cooking? It's obviously a kitchen staff. And I can't even, like, it just kind of boggles the mind that they're going to put 80 pounds of meat out cooked consistently the same in one ounce portions in like 15 to 20 minutes. Like that, that's, that's some serious logistic exercise. Yeah, that, that was part of the challenge in trying to find a place to do this. Um, you know, we're, we're literally in the middle of Wyoming. We have very few large establishments like that. And so I ended up going to uh, Central Wyoming College um, and we've built a great relationship with them. They're amazing hosts and they give us so many resources to pull this off. Um, but that was one of the things in shopping around for a place to do this was where's even a place that has that big of a cooking surface, much less the staff that can manage it. You know, most restaurants, I sell direct to three restaurants here in Fremont County. And, um, you know, most of them are going to do, they can do eight, 10, 12, maybe 20 steaks at a time and do a good job. Um, but that's asking a lot. I mean, if you've never seen 80 pounds of one cut of like New York strip, it's impressive. Like you got to roll it out on a cart. It's impressive. I've, I've never seen like 80 pounds of one cut. I'm kind of thinking, I'm not real sure I've ever seen like 80 pounds of meat just out on a cart ready to go. I mean, seeing it yeah. all, you know, picking one up from the locker and having it all wrapped in packages is one thing, but seeing it out in the open, you know, yeah, yeah that's. I bet that would be a site. And so, you know, the, the cool part is they are that when we get down to the cooking portion, um, there are only two people. There's one of the guys on the planning committee with me, um, the car family. They're amazing. They've stuck by me through this whole crazy process of getting this up and going. And, uh, Mr. Eric Carr, he randomizes everything. Uh, he enters all the contestants' names. He randomizes it. And there is, it, it's like Kentucky Fried Chicken, man. There ain't anybody that knows the, the recipe when we're all said to, re ready to go. Uh, it's him and the chef are the only two that know exactly which is which. And that all steaks that were number eight came from your yep. place. Yep. They do not let me in the kitchen. They don't let anyone in the kitchen. It's very, uh, it's very cool to see that they maintain the integrity of it. And it's not just a, a hokey kind of fun thing. It's, it's actually a pretty serious process. So you mentioned that it was all direct marketers. So what are the, what are the qualifications if somebody isn't already entered and wants to be a part of the Rendezvous City Beef Roundup? Either in, either in the Wyoming division or the open division. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I rely pretty heavily on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And I kind of seek out the people that are the most active marketers. Um, we, we just ask that they're, they're exactly that they're cow calf producers that are finishing, you know, whether, and they don't have to be a cow calf producer, but we would like them to be the owner operator they're the ones packing the buckets. Um, they're the ones doing the direct marketing. Um, some of them are bigger than others. You know, we have one lady that entered the first year uh, that had some belted Galway from over in Daniel, Wyoming. 
Um, and she just does a handful every year. Uh, Sonia, she's amazing. Her beef is amazing. My father-in-law picked her beef last year oh, wow. uh, over ours. Yeah. Yeah. So now we give him a hard time about his, uh, his highbrow taste in belted Galway grass-fed beef. Well, it's almost humbling though, right? Like you think you like certified Angus or, you know, extreme Wagyu or whatever. And you're like, no, it just, you could do it is. any breed. So, yeah. You know, and that was the other part of, well, anyway, to, to finish that, but yeah, we, we just ask that they are the producer. Yeah. Um, we don't want any bigger corporate uh, deals getting in there, but they're all family operations. Oh, that's cool. um, like say in Wyoming, we just do the one particular cut for the open division. We ask them to send uh, two ribeye, two New York, two sirloin and two pounds of hamburger. And we use that throughout the day. We have a private chef come. We have cooking demonstrations throughout the day. So if you buy your ticket, you can get in and you can learn how to sear the perfect steak, uh, you know, on a grill, in a, in a uh, cast iron pan. Um, we cook some burgers for people throughout the day. Um, and, and like you're saying, we let them see... Um, Maybe is some of that lost on marketing? Like, oh, I did think that all I could eat was certified Angus, you know, from wherever. And they all of a sudden they go, wow, you know, uh, last year we had. Um, those oh, those I, tough old Mexican roping cows actually taste really good. Well, you said, yeah, you know, like that's wild. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and it's so it's it's interesting to me that. Um, some people, we had one person, they, they turned down our offer to come and be part of it because we didn't have a separate grass-finished um, division. But most of the people want to go head-to-head -head with every, you know, and, and, and of course, it's meant to be fun. We're all friends. Like, I have all my swag that I get from other producers. We all trade. Um, I get Christmas cards from some of them, you know, it, it's cool that we've built this interconnected group of producers that aren't out to get each other, but I trade beef with people while they're, while they're there, trade hats, you know, any of that stuff, it's really built a cool community, um, but it does, it gives producers, the funniest thing, the first year, um, I had people coming up to me afterwards, like husbands and wives, well, and they would like corner me as they were leaving. And well, he didn't like the beef that I liked. And I like number five, but he liked number seven. So, and I was like, oh, whoa, 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 that <laughs> you guys are going to have to work that out at home. Um, but it, it is neat to see people kind of branching out. And there is some of that stigma, especially around here, like, oh, I don't like grass fed beef. I actually buy the, the grass fed that I sell in our retail. Um, I buy from one of my neighbors. He's got a different elevation. He's got different grass types, um, different grazing seasons and his grass fed. It, I mean, I could pull one out and people, if you couldn't look at it close enough to see the yet more yellow tints and stuff, they would swear that the marbling is grain finished. And it's absolutely delicious beef. So it's fun to see that part kind of people opening up and, um, you know, like you say, maybe they're getting more aware of what they do and don't like to eat. 
I think the consumer is rapidly becoming educated on on the difference between you know a forage finished grass fed type production cycle where the cow where that animal's in pasture until slaughter date versus the feedlot you know feedlot finishing model where yeah technically we can call it grass fed if it only spends just a little bit of time in the feedlot and it only gets a little bit of grain and mostly forage i i don't buy into that you know i and i i think these events like like you've got i think they're a great way for producers to get their name out to educate the public that you know it's just a taste preference thing like some people actually prefer the grass fed to the grain fed is what it sounds like that you've seen in in the results from past competitions yeah yeah and um that was you know that was kind of the secondary idea behind this is that that's one of the biggest things that we fight at our farmer's market and like listening to Maggie and Jeremiah, they get the same thing there. So I thought that that's awesome that in New Braunfels, Texas, they're fighting the same thing that I fight in Lander, Wyoming, um, that, you know, there is some, some preconceived notions and, you know, you, you can tell people, um, we can tell them our story. You know, my daughters are sixth generation on the place. Um, I'm not, I'm a first generation rancher, but our daughters are sixth generation on the place. And, you know, you can have them really rooting for you by the end of your, your whole talk, you got them on your team, you know, and they want you to succeed and you, but it doesn't necessarily translate to sales because the next thing you say after you have this whole intimate conversation with them about your lifestyle and how you raise your beef and all of these things you go so what can i get you and they say one of two things uh hamburger or uh ribeye yeah because we just spent all this time talking and getting to know each other and now they don't want to feel uneducated in front of you and those are the two words that they know right you know, I actually took a picture of the one guy that ever came up to my farmer's market booth and said, hey, do you have a tongue and an oxtail? I about fell over backwards and I had to take his picture and put it on my Facebook because that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, so but some of the reason that doesn't happen is a large part of the public doesn't even know that though that you can eat those parts of an animal because they've been absent from the grocery stores for 20 or 30 years. Or they're yeah. relegated to, you know, an ethnic section of a market that's really yeah. hard to find. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I was really bad about that myself. Um, I grew up with my, my uncle owned some restaurants in Vail, Colorado. So I got to eat some, some of the better things and I got to spend my weekends there. And um, I didn't understand what it takes to make a steak and, uh, you know, I read Killing It a few years ago. I can't remember what her, Candace, uh, is it Camish? Anyway, I probably butchered that. But um, yeah, you know, in, in drawing attention to some of those things that we no longer use. And now we're seeing more head to tail kind of butchering. Um, some of those, you know, we had a guy from South Africa come up to the place looking around. And they will fight you for the oxtail in South Africa. That is one of the most prime, you know, cuts that they can get. 
and here you tell someone oxtail and they their eyes roll back in their head you're gonna have to forgive me i can't really specifically recall where that's from but isn't that like the tail head that's above part above the pelvis yeah it's the bulk of the tail yeah I, i don't know if it's exactly those which several vertebrae but yeah the meteor portion of the tail above the pelvis down yeah Okay. Well, at least that's the right, that's the right area to kind of look at. Yeah. The tail. Yeah. Yeah. I and it, why? You know, I, I don't know why we've been, it, it's so we, I kind of, I always tell people about the dumbing down of the meat counter. Um, you know, you used to go into a butcher shop and there were dead things hanging around and you could smell the smell and you pointed at the cuts that you wanted and you know, you knew which end of that cooler space you couldn't afford to shop in and which one you didn't care for the flavor and those kind of things. And that, and, you know, then at, at some point that butcher shop went behind the glass and now it was kind of a case in front of, and you just kind of pointed at, and now it's just this styrofoam plastic wrapped go by as you get a loaf of bread and a can of corn and you know, you might grab a whatever, a, a ribeye, because that's the name, you know, as you push your cart by through and the store. And you make sure it says certified Angus beef, because you've heard that once or twice. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think kind of that dumbing down of the, of the butcher shop is definitely added to that. I agree. And my, my, because of the, the, books that I've been listening to lately <laughs> on Audible. Um, the End of the World is Just Beginning by Peter Zeehan. Like, it just came out like a month ago, back in June. It's amazing. I haven't even finished it yet, but he's you know, he's always talking about supply chain. He talk, talks a lot about supply chains and material availability in the future. And it just... It really makes me uh, makes me go down some interesting paths when I have these conversations, thinking about how future supply chains can look and how it's going to affect our operations. Yeah, that's one of the things that we've been talking about lately is, you know, in our own personal direct marketing business, um, you know, 2019, 2020, we were some of the only game in town and man, you could sell anything you had in a package. And then all of a sudden, everybody and their brother had a beef for sale or a goat or, you know, whatever on Facebook. And now I, I'm like you, I kind of see that dwindling and those, they talk about that term food miles, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing these food miles become more and more expensive. And uh, I, I think consumers are starting to kind of realize that, especially in the proteins um you know what what's the price of an avocado gonna do in the next year or two there's there's no avocados in wyoming so you know those are going to get fairly expensive those kind of things people are starting to go yeah you know i do need to look another place like the the seasonal appropriateness and seasonal availability of foods yeah Mm -hmm. i mean I remember growing up, you used to not be able to get strawberries in January. That was just not a thing. I mean, if you wanted strawberries, wait till summer when they come in. And then when they did show up in the store in January, they're three to four times the price of the summer strawberries. 
they tasted half as good. And now that's all there is, is that is that same just generic white, fairly sweet, not really very juicy, but looks pretty strawberry. That's all we see anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of listening to Fred Provenza, you know, and I, I've been I've read the Dorito effect and I actually reached out to him uh, after I read Steak to see if he would come and be a celebrity judge at the Beef Roundup. Um you know, but that's definitely. Did he, did he say yes? He's so interested. Um, and I have so little budget to do this on. <laughs> so <laughs> there's always that as an issue. But if he's out there listening, we still want you to show up because I think you would love it. Um, but I, I yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, it, it's uh, that's a there, that's a goal for maybe year four. Maybe we, we went out a little strong on that one, but we'll get there. Very cool. Very cool. So I, I guess I'm kind of back to to entry qualification. Like, Are you pretty much full for the Wyoming division or are you still taking entries? We are. We actually have, including my own business, we have 11 Wyoming entries right now, which is good. Uh, it seems like every year, Somebody has something come up, you know, first year we similar situation, we had somebody that had a fire on the ranch and wasn't able, you know, obviously that takes precedence over what we're doing. So it, it seems like there's always a little something that comes up. So having one extra, I think that'll work. I will, I will gracefully bow out for the day if, if need be. Um, but yeah, the Wyoming division has 11 right now. And I know Tasha sent me some emails this morning. We got a couple more open division overnight where we opened up last year. We limited it to just the Western states, you know, kind of Kansas, Texas, uh, South Dakota, West. Right. West uh, of the, in the dry states where it doesn't rain very much. Yeah. Yeah. The dry. Yeah. There you go. And uh, I, we had we had 13 entries from 12 different states. And the guys from Colorado won it, um, Mountain View Meats, uh, which was so cool. Uh, they were, they now have a processing facility here in Wyoming as well. Um, so they're going to, I think they're going to enter the Wyoming division this year. But yeah, we just, uh, we'll take, I think we've talked about limiting it to about 20, 25 in the open division. We have a little shorter format for that. Um, because we can't use the the school's huge cafeteria for the entire day so we have a celebrity chef show up for that to cook all of those um, we only cook two of their steaks as part of the competition uh, in the open division one of your new york's and one of your ribeyes gets cooked the new york we do you get salt pepper and fire that's it that's all a good steak should need yeah exactly i mean we had some people come in the first year and they were like wow we want to sous vide and we want to do this i said listen okay come on guys if you got to have like the japanese sea salt or whatever you know the secret sauce to make your steak good then it becomes a cooking competition and maybe not a tasting competition so we've limited it to that um we are sponsored by High Mountain Seasoning here in Riverton. They're awesome. They do so much for us. Um, 
they got us these amazing camp chef grills for last year they put in seasoning and all the vip bags um, you get an awesome swag bag that's a cooler um, if you get a if you just get a general admission ticket you get a little cooler bag so that you can walk around and buy beef from all over everywhere um that's one of the that's a few. that's a good one that's a good uh, one yeah you know we thought it's a cool it, for me personally because i'm kind of a a foodie um i thought man how cool is that like you can get steak from all over the state in one place on one day um so we do that but yeah high mountain they they sponsor it they give us some seasoning hopefully by next year we're working with them to have our own you know the secret sauce rendezvous rub maybe for the steaks but uh when you get to the ribeye round, that's when we kind of add the, the razzle dazzle. We put a little seasoning on there. We give you some different flavored smoke uh, and let those, let those kind of pop a little bit, but you got to get through that New York round first. Okay. So if somebody wanted to enter that open division, how would they do that? So um, for right now, by the time this comes out, you can go to rendezvous city beefroundup.com and we should have a button on there that will have the entry link and i think that link is actually up and working right now i know we're waiting on the ticket link for the vip tickets but both of those should be ready by the end of the week uh, you can click on that it has a link that goes right to tasha or myself and we will a couple simple little questions where are you from uh, what, you know, what are you doing with your beef, anything special that sets you apart? And we get a little bio on them and you're entered your, your meat is your entry fee. Uh, it has to be any, anyone that's out of state, they have to ship USDA inspected and stamped in the original package beef. Um, that's our only stipulation since we sell tickets. Uh, they treat us kind of like a restaurant. So, where it's coming across state lines, we do have to, that's yeah. our one stipulation. That's but you, Yeah. So you can have, you know, it, and we don't, we don't put any stipulation on thickness. We just ask for two of each cut. Um, some of that meat we use for demonstrations. Some of that meat we use for feeding our volunteers. Um, some of it we auction off as a fundraiser in the evening. Uh, we try and keep the kind of the highest scored ones as a, your, your own personal beef tour. You can buy the beef tour. Um, and, that, yeah. and that helps fund the event. Yeah, yeah. So we give away some really nice uh, gist belt buckles. Um, this year we actually have a sponsor that is providing uh, fuel cards for our Wyoming producers so that they can travel here if they're outside of Fremont County. Um, Very it's cool. been really cool to see how many people have come together to support this. That sounds awesome. Oh, I kind of want to ask who the celebrity chef is, but I have a yeah. feeling that you don't, that you either don't want to tell me or I've never heard of them. Um, so how could other states and other regions start to replicate your event? You know, 
I, I think that's kind of another goal. That's a secondary goal of ours. Last year, we had um, the people from North Dakota showed up, people from Washington, a couple from uh, Nebraska. We had several of the producers show up to see how we're doing this. Um, and that's one thing that we would like to see is people start taking that back to their state and replicating it. Um, you know, I, I think it's actually a little more straightforward now that we've done it. We've got a couple of years under our belt. Um, I wouldn't be scared to, to try and walk somebody else through it, you know, via the phone or something. Yeah. But I, I think having them here um, and getting a feel for it, eventually um, this may grow into like a two day, you know, like garlic festival or shrimp festival type thing. Um, some of those more established festivals that are around food right now, uh, one day is enough. <laughs> it's a, it takes 364 days to put on the one day. Um, but really if, if there's a, if there's a few more progressive producers in their area and you have, there's a few, there's a few hallmark things that I think you'd need to have. Obviously a super huge kitchen with a good staff is a great start. Um, I think somebody can go back and do some promoting. I mean, can you imagine how big this would be like if it blew up in Texas? Oh, it'd be, it'd be insane. The yeah. first year there'd be like seven people, but the second year it'd be just nuts. Yeah. You'd have to limit them. You'd have to put a deeper criteria on it. Um, right now we're just happy to get people to, if they know where Riverton, Wyoming is, we're excited. Where is Riverton, Wyoming? Almost dead center uh, in, in the middle of the state. Mm -hmm. We're just a little ways northwest of center and uh, a couple hours from Yellowstone. Why? So what is Riverton the rendezvous city and why do they call it the rendezvous city? It is the rendezvous city. We have several beautiful statues that commemorate that. Um, the mountain men and the natives would have a lot of rendezvous here mm -hmm. back in the day. And we actually have a very large uh, mountain man rendezvous festival still. I want to say, I'm not even going to try and quote because um, one of my neighbors is one of their reenactors and he'll kill me if I butcher it, but they've been <laughs> going for decades um, and they now have billboards, radio commercials to, it, it was just a couple weeks ago. Normally we're cutting hay when the rendezvous happens, but yeah, they just commemorated a big anniversary. Um, we also have a large balloon festival that was just two weeks ago, I want to say. Um, balloon festival, car show, and it's kind of a rendezvous as well. Um, so yeah, it was the rendezvous city and we thought, you know, uh, you go to you go to Kentucky and you go on a bourbon tour. Yeah. Go to Southern California and you go on a wine tour. Yeah. Um, why not come, come to Kansas? To you can go on a wheat field tour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you really go, go on wheat field tours? <laughs> well, they they have a wheat tour that they go out and scout wheat, but I was that I, that was more of a joke than. Oh, sorry. Else. <laughs> just go east a mile and north a mile east a mile north a mile you'll see all kinds of wheat right yeah yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of kansas that's like that all broken up divided into square land i don't live there thankfully uh, but yeah we just we thought you know 
why not come if you're in beef country why not take a beef tour so i can totally see this taking off i'm pretty excited for you guys That's oh cool. thank you so have are you from riverton have you always been there no um my wife's family is from here i i was born just over the line in colorado uh just north of fort collins and i got to wyoming as soon as i could this is definitely definitely home i mean i i can imagine there's a small demographic change and population density change between fort collins and riverton yeah yeah <laughs> So, so tell me about, so you're from Fort Collins. Where did, uh, where'd you go to college and how did you end up in Riverton? I guess is what I'm asking. So, you know, after high school, man, I knew that college would be like a waste of my time, money and their time. And I was gone. I was out. I went all over the country. I was a horseshoer. I was training horses. I, I was doing anything. You know, if you, if you asked me if I was ready to go, I was already loaded up, man. I was out. And uh, long story short, I, I was right. I settled back in Southern Colorado and I was riding some horses. And one of the guys I rode horses for said, you know, I have a, a ranch up in Wyoming and my ranch manager's getting a little older and probably shouldn't be riding the Colts. Would you be interested in going up and, and helping them gather for a few weeks? And I thought, wow, that's, it takes that long to gather. huh? And so I, I still had enough uh, free spirit in me that I was loaded up, man. I was ready to get up there and um, came back for a couple years in a row and uh, ultimately ended up marrying that ranch manager's daughter and uh she and i have taken over her grandparents place and so we 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 live on the farm we raise uh we have we raise all of our grass hay for our cattle and uh my father-in-law lives at the ranch and it's about 35 miles east of riverton and we're 35 miles west of riverton on the farm so it, it was love. So um, just make sure I'm understanding it. You got a little farm east of town and then a lot of ranch ground west of town. Uh, other way around. Yeah. Okay. Ranch is east. Farm is west. Yep. Okay. So, so what kind of cows do you have? So we run an F1 cross of um, Hereford, Red Angus and Black Angus. Um, and that's kind of the, so the ranch that we're on is about one eighth of what the ranch my wife's grandfather managed. My wife's okay. grandfather and grandmother met way back when. Um, he was from here. He was from over in Lander. His grandfather had homesteaded in Lander after coming up from Texas on a cattle drive. And he picked his plot and he proved up on his ground. And that was when the, the Hancocks became established in Wyoming. And um, he, when he and his wife met, he had his saddle and bedroll and a teepee. And she had her pots and pans and a sewing machine. And now we have a 500 head cow-calf operation and 
we uh, put up all our own hay and try and keep it going every day. Awesome. So what's, what's the grazing base like on the ranch and maybe talk about how you graze your cattle? Like what, what, okay. So what kind of terrain are you in? Cause I know Wyoming is, yeah. is wildly varied. I mean, there's short grass plains and prairies and there's, you know, high mountains with maybe if you're lucky, 200 pounds an acre of forage. Yeah. So we have a very unique setting. Um, we're up against what is con- what's called the beaver rim. Um, and so at the floor of the rim, we're, we're in a common allotment. Uh, we have four or five other places out with us. Um, our oh, summer like a grazing pool type situation. Yeah. Our summer pasture is about 56 square miles. Um, and then we have, yeah. Yeah. And then our heifers are across the road. Um, and they run our, our first calf heifers. They run in about 22 sections. Uh, and we run by ourselves there. So it's kind of nice as a heifer pasture that we can keep them separated and kind of know what they're bred to. Um, but yeah, on, on the ranch side of the road, um, we're out in a common allotment, but then we have a winter pasture, you know, listening to, uh, listening to one of your shows and you were talking about having to, to work on your winter feed. We're very, very blessed that way. We have a, a winter pasture that we can run about 275, 300 head all winter on just some lick tubs. Um, two winters ago was the first time anyone ever remembers the, the, no, I'm sorry, three, three winters ago. Now, uh, we had to abandon the pasture. The you couldn't see the greasewood. I mean, the snow drifts were so high. Okay. The cattle couldn't get to water. It took us three days to drive them 14 miles back to the house. Uh, it was pretty brutal. But other than that, no one can ever remember having to have come out of that pasture uh, before winter was over. So. So you're, you're like the rare operation in Wyoming that's not feeding hay for 270 days a year. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, we, we do. We feed a little hay here at the farm. You know, we get the older cows that are still going to, they just need a little more groceries and they'll have one or two more calves. Hey, um, I, I'm not judging for feeding hay. Yeah, okay? no, no. A little bit every once in a while. Like yeah. I am going to judge you if you feed hay 270 days yeah. out of the year. No, we're, we're really fortunate. I mean, we, we still have a cowboy outfit. Um, you know, we can, we can get them through on very little, um, you know, like I say, we, we bring the first calf heifers, uh, the replacement heifers, you know, next year's first calf heifers, and then a handful of these older cows that are, you know, they'll still have a good calf and raise a good calf if we can kind of help them with some groceries through the winter. But that's pretty, we're pretty low maintenance, high tolerance. I like it. I like it. So I, I'm kind of curious as to how the common allotments work. I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of experience or knowledge about them. Um, so can you talk about, can you talk about how yours works? Yeah. So actually that one great big pasture is, um, split up into two allotments. Um, and so back to the, to the beaver rim, right? 
So where we are at the ranch is anywhere from 4,000 feet down around where the ranch house is. Um, and then when you hit the base of the rim, you go up to about 7,200 feet in about 150 feet in, yeah, it literally shoots straight up. Right up out of the ground. There's like three places that you can safely get up and down. It's all old uranium mining country. Um, Imagine there's a, probably a lot of places you don't want to let your horse drink the water. So it does turn into a little bit of an issue in a dry year. Yeah, we some of the springs, if they'll get a good flush in the in the summer or in the early spring and kind of freshen that water up, you're all right. But occasionally we'll see a we'll see an older cow or or a younger heifer that's been camped on a on a kind of stagnant water and she'll start getting some blindness and some weird stuff. But yeah, it's they don't glow or anything. Contrary. No, no heavy mineral, heavy metal yeah. toxicity issues. Yeah, you know, every once in a great while, like I say, we'll we'll see. Um, two, you know, last summer was pretty dry, and we had to keep them moving around. This summer's been really nice. Had a lot of early rain and stuff, but um, yeah. So that that Beaver Rim is the the dividing line between the two allotments, and um, there's three of us down below the rim. And uh, we have a little bit of different turnout dates um, and it's kind of based on your AUM capacity and there's a few determining factors into that. But um, we have a couple of smaller uh, grazing allotments and pastures that we use when we turn out in the spring. Um, so our turnout dates on the allotment are June 1st to December 1st. Um, everybody in our allotment ends December 1st. Um, a couple of them start like May 15th. I think the one guy is even like May 1st with just a handful. It's kind of odd how some of the old um, adjudicated rights and stuff are tied to each of the little, it, it's tied to adjudicated property, right? You have right. kind of the first right of refusal to that grazing right that surrounds you. And so some of them are just different rights. Um, but yeah, we all we all run about the same number out there. I think the lower place is set for uh, 1580 or 1620 AUMs. And then there's a handful up on top. Um, so yeah, we, we're really fortunate that we get to uh, turn out about June 1st when everything's pretty well branded up. And ours are pretty well located. You know, you're always going to have a handful of hammerheads that go and it is immediately as soon as you open the gate, they're on the other side. Right. Um, you know, you always have that. And so in the fall, um, everybody kind of trades off fall riding and everybody's on the phone in a trailer. You know, somebody might call and, hey, these guys up on top said that you've got two up at stampede and I got five. So I'll bring yours down and I got one over here. And so we all kind of mix and mingle. It used to be um, way back when, when there was no fences, my, my wife's grandfather always would get a tear in his eye and say, it's so sad to see this country getting so fenced in. And I'd think it's 56 square miles. What are we talking? <laughs> you know, it's like sticking your toe in the ocean for the first time. You go, whoa, this is massive. Um, 
and they proposed a new fence the blm did two years ago and i kind of teared up i thought no we're still we're still kind of cowboys out here let's leave it alone mm -hmm. um but they used to they used to go out up until the 80s they went out and and took out a wagon and there's still one bunch of guys that are real hardcore up on top they still go out on the wagon and they put out the ropes it's only a few days now but it used to be weeks and months i think um, i think that that's really good that there are groups keeping some of those traditions alive and still doing it that way the way it's been done for a hundred years that's not to say that there isn't uh, isn't something to be said about progress and uh, and doing things a little more efficiently these days with modern machinery and technology. So, I, when you come off the mountain, like I guess, I guess I'm I'm kind of wondering. It's it's just 56 square miles in one pasture, and you've got you and several other operators. It doesn't sound like the cattle commingle, and it doesn't sound like like there's range riders out herding them around or or doing any kind of grazing control on them. Um, no, we you know we, everybody kind of takes care of their own during the summer. We get out, you know. Angela's grandfather always, my wife, um, her grandfather always figured that they they did the best when you polished a lot of leather and so we get out and we ride on them you know like i say this year uh we really kicked in the riding here the last couple of weeks because um we did have a ton of moisture we had several one and two inch rainstorms in early spring really filled up a lot of the waters um, and now that those are kind of drying out we kind of use the water uh as 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 much as as much as or more than the grazing to move things around um but yeah we we all do run together you know and that was part of the consideration when we started our beef business is like what do we do to make ourselves stand out and you know we couldn't guarantee that it was a purebred we couldn't guarantee that it was a wagyu crop you know so we we kept filtering out what we could do or what what we couldn't do kept pointing us in what we could do as to how we would run our our marketing business but um yeah we you know it just it really does it depends on the year um dry years you're out riding a lot more uh keeping them on fresh feed fresh water um but yeah we all we all run together some of those cows are up on top some of the guys from up on top they're down below and uh it, it makes for good neighbors how much pushback do you think you would get if you wanted to do something completely different and i guess the basis of this question is how much of your decision on what type of cattle to run is based on on allotment constraints or pool or what other people in the pool are doing or what they would accept <laughs> there's a great story about my father-in-law with that so a guy, one of our friends that's total city guy, he's, he's awesome. He, he always says that if John Wayne would have wanted to study one of his characters, he would have studied my father-in-law. He's a mountain, <laughs> you know, he's this great big guy. He could ride anything that bucked. He could rope anything that ran, you know, he, he's that guy. 
and uh, he switched back. You know, it was all Hereford country forever when it was the ranch that his his dad managed for a man named Clarence Greaves. Um, Hereford was king. That was all there was on the range. And as the Hereford started getting phased out and more people bought up portions of the range, um, it was, you know, then they started going to more Angus types and that kind of stuff. And so when the Angus got really deeply rooted in the range and everybody had black everything, my father-in-law looked around and he could see the, the traits that weren't coming out in those Angus cattle that were prevalent in the Herefords. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we've got to go back and our weaning weights have gone down and there's some different health issues that are coming up, you know? So he was really brilliant and looked around and said, we got to start putting some of that back in. And uh, so he went and he bought a trailer load of Hereford bulls, you know, he turned them out and and i mean he just barely pulled back into the house and here came the neighbors boy they were hot and jennifer she was gonna she was gonna run him up a tree and she started in on i hope none of those hereford blankety blanks breed any of my black cows and on and on and he said well i hope none of them breed any of your black cows too and that was the end of the conversation (laughs) (laughs) so but it is um we're really fortunate that, that everybody out there, uh, you know, we know what works on our range and most of the guys are kind of shopping for bulls at very reputable, uh, bull dealers. Um, you'll see a, a lot of similarities in the cattle. I've personally, um, bought some cattle from a couple of the different neighbors that all run on the same place and go in to go through my feed program and finish in the beef. And I mean, they all did exceptional, you know, they were, they're, they're so closely bred, but yeah, I mean, if we turned out a bunch of Corianni bulls or something, I think probably we'd have some phone calls real quick. Might have some Corianni steers in a few days. <laughs> or yeah. I was thinking of doing something really wacky, like turn out some Brahma. Yeah. I, I think I think one year somebody leased a little piece to a guy with a bunch of bucking bulls. Oh, yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, the fence wasn't even a suggestion, so they were out on the range like next day, and um, they got back a few bucking steers, and that was the end of that. Fair enough. Yeah, you you can head and heal a a bucking bull and make it a steer pretty quick guy down the road has some maybe i'd I'd like to see him do that one day (laughs) i would much rather have a baldy calf than a bucking bull half black angus (laughs) so what uh have you had any wrecks up there with your with the common allotment that you want to talk about not that I want to talk about. No, no. <laughs> okay. That's fair. No, I mean, it, there's always some management issues that we run into every year, just with the different things that come up or 
BLM wants to do some new study and somebody doesn't want them over on their place and somebody does want them. You know, there's, there's always a few little deals that we run into, but really for the most part, we're all professionals and we're, you know, we're all kind of in it for the same deal. We're even related to some of them. And so, you know, it, it kind of works out. Um, we did have uh, one year we had a guy, he brought this Palomino horse out, you know, and we, we still cut cattle out in the open. Uh, when we're, when we gather in the fall, you cut your brand out and, you know, there's places I, it, it's very romantic to me because, you know, I didn't grow up doing that. So there's days where I'm horseback all day and we cut cattle out in the open and the old guys tell the stories about when they used to cut the, they used to cut the horses out in the open when the ranches had all come together the last day headed home, they would cut the horses out in the open. And they said that got pretty fast. Um, but we're out cutting and this guy's horse. It, just for clarity, this. you're, you're, you're sorting yours from other people, not like cutting yeah. testicles. And, okay. Yeah. 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 No, we're, we're just out sorting our pairs off of your pairs and their pairs and uh, everybody kind of heads home. And, uh, the day before me and this guy were walking down the two rut road, trying to catch up to the herd, just talking and his horse kicked mine. And we both looked at each other like, what, what was that? You know, it was just totally random. We'd been walking down the road for like 10 minutes. So then the next day he rides the same horse. He's kind of, he was a little goofy and, uh, we're sitting there cutting. It was a fairly good bunch, you know, 150, 200 head of cows along the fence by the highway. And we get kind of done and everybody's kind of going through and sending their guy in to look for, you know, anything they might've missed on their first trip through. And he comes over to visit with me and that horse wheels and kicks my my horse he kicked my wife's horse the day before that i was riding he wheels and kicks this one of my best horses i was so hot i i reached i grabbed my reins and i went to i was gonna hit him on the butt right yeah. mm -hmm. and the horse saw me rear back and he wheeled around and i hit him right across the face with the reins it, i was like You're not know, at this. that point yeah. yeah at that point there's no backing down like you gotta like uh-oh so yeah it got a little things got heated real quick but we're we're still friends that's good yeah <laughs> so what advice would you have i guess what advice do you wish you had before you started managing that ranch the first day you're managing that ranch what's the pe one piece of advice you wish you would have had oh man <sighs> i i I guess, you know, my wife's grandfather always said, we, we've always got to leave a little back for next year. And we've, I think we've, you know, we still have my father-in-law that really calls the shots, but we kind of execute the things on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think we've heeded that warning and we've, we've left a little back every year and, um, we never overgrazed, you know, he, his famous saying was, you can't starve a profit out of a cow. And I think we've very true. Yeah. I think we've lived by that. And, um, 
I was fortunate enough to know when to shut up in, uh, it, it was purely by dumb luck, I promise you. And I think we've kind of lived by that and it's served us very well this year. I mean, we have, we literally have grass down the two ruts in the road. It's just been amazing. It all hit right at the right time. And the range is just, it looks outrageous, but, um, yeah, I think, heeding that not to starve a profit out of a cow has sure served us well very cool very cool uh, so what are some who have been some of your most influential mentors uh most recently my father-in-law for sure um like i say i didn't come from a ranching background i had a a horse background and you know that was part of how I got here but learning some of the ranching side of it from him has definitely been huge um, but my mom you know I growing up uh, she, she was amazing you know the things that she put up with to even keep me alive was pretty unprecedented <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sure my mom's got plenty of stories. And I know my dad has some because he's told me a few of them. Yeah, but now, I, you know, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this whole, you know, there's so many variables that play into it that I, I tend to think of myself more as a student of it now than definitely nowhere near an expert by any means. Um, still, a, still a student of this whole thing called ranching mm -hmm. i think that's a perpetual state i don't think that i think that a lot of people that would call themselves an expert maybe still have a little bit of learning to do i try to stay humble and, and keep educating myself and it's a journey like i i'm always trying to learn more about my forage my grasses the interaction between you know the cattle and the soil microbes and why they eat what they eat, which is why I love talking to guys like Fred Provenza. Why did that cow go eat the willow tree? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I didn't know willow had aspirin in it. So that's, I, I, I listened to that and I, I think, man, I had to like go and get the dictionary after I listened to that interview to look up half the stuff they were talking about. So it's very humbling to know how, how little I know. Don't feel bad. Every once in a while, I have to grab my phone while we're doing one of these and look up a word <laughs> sometimes more than that well you know and like listening to mike calicrate um he's actually one of our speakers this year at the beef round oh, nice very cool yeah he's he's one of the guys that i wanted to get to come right from the get-go um you know we've had um we, we've had some pretty amazing speakers and i'm always people are like, how did you get them to come and talk? I go out, well, I, I called and I asked. Yeah. How did you get so-and-so on your podcast? Yeah. I sent him a really nice email and asked politely. That's how. Yeah. So, but you know, and that was, um, listening to guys like that, that were, you know, he was right there with his finger in Tyson's chest saying this, this isn't right. What you guys are doing. And when I visited with Mike about coming up and talking, 
I, I got really fortunate in two things. He, um, he has some old rodeo buddies that are from right here that actually neighbor with us. So that helped. And I said, you know, I'd con one of them into buying him a beer. And, uh, you know, I said that was kind of the thing about the beef roundup is that I think we need to connect at the consumer level and really take everything out else out of the picture because there is so much leading, misleading uh, black Angus, Wagyu, you know, uh, all of these things that people hear all of the time. And he was so cool to talk to because he said, you're absolutely right. You know, there's legislation has failed us and, and some of these other things that we thought maybe would hold up have not. And he said, I think you're on to something that that's kind of the last, the last real true connection we can make is right to the consumer. You know, as I like to say, shake the hand that feeds you. And it's all about forging that connection between the people that are making that make the food systems work, the food producers that make the systems work rather than just the consumers, which is the top layer. And we have to bridge that connection. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering what, what percentage of your beef are you direct marketing? 500 cow calf operation. I mean, that's a lot of poundage. How much of that are you direct marketing every year? So this year, we, this year we were shooting for uh, 80 to 100, and I think I've, I've kind of backed that off a little bit. I think we're going to hit, we'll for sure hit 60 by the end of the year. Fall, it always seems to pick up a little bit, so I'm carrying a few extras right now. Uh, we're going to be in that 60 to 80 head range this year. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, when excuse me, the, the first year, I thought this was crazy that we were going to do 20. Um, and one of those weird things of COVID hit. And fortunately we had, we had the, the places spoke for, and we had the feed. We obviously had the cattle and, uh, it, it really catapulted our business five years ahead because you know we're we're marketing beef in beef country we're you know we're selling sand at the seashore kind of scenario and everybody and their brothers got a beef i i didn't really dream it would be that we would get to this level but yeah we do we do three restaurants um we distribute all around the state and now we're even getting some down into colorado and uh, had one to go to Virginia the other day. So that was cool, but yeah. Very cool. Very I, cool. I, I think we've kind of topped out at that though, because what we ended up doing is we had three areas on our farm that weren't productive for one another, too rocky, too subby, to hay, you know, these kind of things. And, um, we, we've started kind of grazing those and we've got them all refenced and, got water to them and all of that. And um, I, I think that's kind of the maximum capacity of our farm because we keep all of ours out um, grazing the whole time. The majority of them we do give just a little bit of grain, kind of go back to the way grandma and grandpa did it. And 
we give a little corn oats and barley because that's what we have that's grown readily available to us. We have a lot of malt barley, a little bit of corn, handful of oats around here. So, you know, we can get a truckload or two of each grain every year. So we, we do give them a little grain twice a day. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of going to be without, without acquiring another place or another set of hands to help with that. I think we've kind of reached our maximum capacity there. Is that just because of the time required to, you know, to get the animal, the processor, pack it, ship it, deal with the customers. It's just, that's, that's kind of the limit of the time commitment you're willing to put in, or do you just think you're market saturated? Um, a, a little bit of the market saturation, but also um, I, I tried leasing a little place across the street and, you know, it just without us being able to control where we're grazing them. Um, I, I don't know that I want to, everything around us is big. I mean, we have a 330 acre farm and we're one of the smaller farms on the block, so to speak. So it, you know, without like, that was part of why we started the direct marketing of beef. It was for us to, to add any size, it was going to be a multi-million dollar commitment somewhere, some way. Right. And so I didn't want to be a truck driver. Um, you know, my, my wife chose to retire from her career and stay home. So it was, we kept filtering out what we could and couldn't do. And the direct marketing kind of fell in our lap as to why don't we take these bottom end cattle that when the, when the buyer shows, you know, if we sold on the video auction, there was always that pin that the, the buyer sorted off. If we took them to the sale barn, there was always that frozen eared and frozen tailed calf that somebody stole for 60 bucks. Yep. And that was kind of our conclusion that, you know, we need to start this direct marketing, but now like say reaching that kind of uh, saturated point, you know, we don't, taking more to the processor every month isn't that big of a deal. It's just throwing one more in the trailer. You know, by the time you get to that level, you're already packing a few buckets, pack one more, you know, it's not that big a deal, but I really, there's very few places that are close enough here that are kind of small acreages that I could lease. Cause I always wanted them. I just, I hated going by the feedlot and seeing them all standing there getting corn shoved down their throat and, I'm not anti-feedlot. I, I understand there is a necessary component to that, but I just, I thought if we're going to try and raise a premium product, how do we do that? And marketing grass-fed beef in Riverton, Wyoming is pretty daunting task. So, you know, we give them a little grain and that kind of produced the flavor that people here were willing to, to buy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I actually have to get going. I've gotten a couple more texts about that uh, fire situation. Why are you turning? I'm like, there has to be a fire going on. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a critical situation, but it's definitely oh, something I need to go pay attention to today. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So anything, anything we want to wrap, want to wrap up with Tyler? Uh, just that, 
there should be if you would like to come and see how we're doing the beef roundup please go to the rendezvous city beefroundup.com and uh, come out it's a fun day it's literally everything beef um i'm gonna have to hit you up to come and be a speaker one day Maybe <laughs> i'd really enjoy somewhere. that yeah please yeah we'll we'll get you out here um i have very very reasonable speaking and appearance fees Perfect. We can maybe afford that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, th there's something for everybody. Um, we have a wine tasting and pairing class, which is always a big one. People come out and they they can try wine with different types of beef. Uh, like say, we have a private chef that will show you how to get the the perfect sear on your steak. Um, there, there's really all the way up to Mike Calicrate coming to talk about his new food villages. Um, there's literally something for everybody and there's no real agenda other than beef is awesome. Yeah. And so it's Saturday, September 10th. Is that because I just looked it up. Is that the right date? Yes, that's this year's date okay. in Riverton, Wyoming at Central Wyoming College. It is one of the most beautiful campuses you'll ever see. Um it's there in the cultural center and like i say you'll there's something for everybody and it's really fun because there's no agenda we're not trying to sell you the newest latest greatest drug whatever um or it's just a bunch of really good people and i'm always surprised at how many young people there are there that are doing what we're doing i don't consider myself young anymore but we're um we're not old ranchers by any means but yeah it, it's really cool i i know people call every year afterwards and say you know i made a connection with so and so and now our beef is going here or going there um, so it's really a fun day because there isn't any overreaching agenda. We just get together and eat a bunch of beef. Celebrate beef. Correct. Celebration of beef. I like it. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for your time today, Tyler. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good luck on the fire. Yeah, we'll go see what's what's going on. It's probably not going to be anything but uh, y'all have a great week yeah